This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Shimon Steinmetz, CFO of FinJohn Holdings, and you're listening to CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 214. As a finance leader, are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? This episode, we speak to Marianne Caserta, CFO of Atrion, a fast-growing $120 million technology services firm. I think working with the department leaders that are um, responsible for heading those up and helping them chart success just moves so fast. And there's so many um, client requests coming in that come from every direction because of the space we work in. Um, One of the things I I think I bring to the table is to help people stay focused on what's really important and where, what should we be leveraging the most to achieve the highest level of success. Listen to our complete interview with Marianne after these words from our sponsor. It's a question. Every growing business must answer, how do you scale your organization to accommodate growth while reducing risk? Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intech provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Hello, we're speaking with Marianne Caserta, CFO of Atrion, $120 million tech services firm based in Warwick, Rhode Island. Marianne, welcome. Thank you so much, Jack. It's, it's nice to be spending some time. So let's find out a little bit about you and, and your, your career so far. Can you share with us what were some of the, the career milestones for you that helped prepare you for the CFO role at Atrion? Sure. Starting out earlier in my career, coming out of college, I did spend about eight years in public accounting, and I believe one of the milestones for me was was achieving the CPA certification, and later on, um, I did go back for my master's degree, MBA degree, and I think those two things um, certainly helped me in regard to um, not just sort of the knowledge base that I gained from that, but also sort of the discipline and best practice thought process that I think is very important as it relates to someone in the CFO role. Another milestone I would say, um, joining Atreon is an interesting company, leaving a world where we all spoke the same language as accountants and moving into a world where um, in the beginning I was the only one who spoke the accounting language, um, gaining some um, intensive, I would say, leadership training um, and working through some 360-degree um, sort of assessments really helped me start to understand the other key elements of um, being a great CFO, which is really more around leadership, I would say, than the technical aspects of the role. What can you tell us about the competitive landscape for these types of technology services that Atrion offers? Um, I would say our space is, um, in general, very fragmented. It's so broad uh, when you, we think about 
the IT space. It's fragmented and it's going through a lot of change right now. So with the advent of the cloud, the Internet of Things, um, variety of issues we see out there around security on a day-to-day basis that we're constantly talking here internally about um, the business and what direction we should be taking. How can we best help our clients navigate um, that? So we, we find um, finding that differentiator is very important for us. And um, we've been fortunate that um, Atreon has had, I think, a good competitive edge around our sort of high-touch approach um, that we – uh, typically engage with clients in a different way than a lot of our uh, competitors. Um, typical sort of sweet spot is the mid-market space and smaller enterprise where uh, the market is a bit underserved and um, the clients truly appreciate that high-touch approach and really listening to them and understanding their business challenges on a day-to-day basis and not just trying to form fit a uh, piece of technology uh, to address an issue, really understand their overall challenges. And I think that's helped us, but things are changing quickly out there, and we have to stay on top of uh, the direction of IT. Now, does Atrian operate with what might be the traditional uh, business model for consulting firms, which is billable hours? What's the business model? It's a mixture of things, actually. I tell um, our team in finance are really in three businesses here. We do uh, employ the use of hardware and software in the solutions that we sell, so we have that part of the business. And we also offer, as you mentioned, the consulting and the professional services uh, around the solution, and last but not least, the managed services, which is really the day-to support Uh, monitoring aspects of of client networks and uh, really giving that client peace of mind that the solution won't just work the day after it's installed, but uh, the clients typically sign up for a a Atreon branded service we call MaxTime that basically ensures uh, the lifelong healthiness of the solution that they've purchased. Now, is that uh, what we would phrase as a subscription type model? Um, it can be, yes, um, and generally is sold on a single year or multi-year uh, basis, typically with our uh, with our clients. Now, is that uh, just to touch upon the subscription model? Because there's many of our CFO guests who have told us that uh, they're either incorporating it or adopting it. And uh, curious, can you share with us any of the perhaps discussions uh, that you've been part of at Atrion regarding? Uh, how subs- the move to subscription services is uh, an important part of the future, perhaps. I believe it definitely is, Jack. I think that um, one of the new solutions I partner with sales to create is something we actually call solution as a service. Uh, because of the advent of cloud, a lot of clients are thinking about really moving away from owning um, hardware and software and moving to that monthly subscription model um, and we try to develop a new solution that, that really allows clients to do that, um, yet preserves um, really the fact that hardware is part of a solution. I don't think that's going anywhere. It's just a matter of where that hardware might be installed and how the client is paying for it. So there definitely is 
um, a pretty significant move in that direction. That's something that I've been working with sales to to address as proactively as possible. You mentioned hardware several times now. Is it you're not housing this hardware or shipping it? So today we do um, we do have a warehouse and we do ship product from uh, manufacturers like Cisco Systems. Um, primarily HP is another partner of ours as well. However, we're, we're finding that some clients um, are staying with that model uh, where they are engaging in capital investments, where others are really more interested in, as you mentioned, that monthly payment subscription model. And where the location of the gear is stored isn't, I think, so much the issue um, perhaps as the financial model around it and how they pay for it. Um, I think that's really the the, uh, central piece of the discussion. Is there any characteristic, as far as you can tell, about which companies are moving or, or, you know, looking to uh, keep the traditional model versus those who are more likely to move to a subscription model going forward? I'm finding a lot of our clients in that mid-market and small enterprise space are using sort of a hybrid model. So um, some of the solutions that they have that they're comfortable putting out at a remote site co-location facility, um, they'll purchase in that subscription model. But some some of our clients actually still like the idea of having their own private cloud, they call it, which is uh, basically a data center that's being built on-premise with all of the critical applications. So right now we're finding it's it's more of a hybrid model. I would say across the board in the mid-market and small enterprise space, and they're being selective somewhat about um, what they want to invest in from a capital perspective versus buy on a monthly subscription basis. So what are the numbers and metrics that you really pay close attention to to understand how the company's performing? Um, we certainly focus, I would say, on the cash flow side of things. Um, we know that cash is king and we keep an eye on things like our uh, day sales outstanding as many traditional finance organizations do. We also keep a very close eye on our working capital, something we actually look at on a weekly uh, basis to make sure that in our environment, Jack, uh, Atrion is a growth-oriented company and we know cash flow can become a challenge in that environment. So we manage that very, uh, very, very closely. On a company-wide basis, um, I would say of late, I'm spending more time looking at um, the company's, we call it bookings revenue, which which are the deals that we've closed of late but haven't implemented for our clients to really get a sense of what are the trends and what our clients are buying, um, how is that shifting, um, and we've definitely seen a shift away from um, equipment sales to some extent and more of a focus on the professional and managed service side of the house. Um, And the other piece that we keep a close eye on, too, is our client loyalty. We use something called the Net Promoter uh, Score, which is a a model that we use to actually uh, metric our clients' uh, happiness level, if you will, with the service and in the idea around would they recommend us um, to, you know, a friend, someone, a colleague in a similar type of business. I want to ask you about that because, of course, um, yeah, often this this the, the first customer measurement we hear about is the net promoter score, 
And I'm curious how you began paying closer attention to the net promoter score over time. I'd imagine five years ago this was not a, a metric that you really were too involved with. Um, but maybe you can share with us how it uh, became more incorporated into your day-to-day. I think it definitely has. I would say, to your point, five years ago, I probably wasn't looking at it as often as I do um, today. Um, client loyalty is something that, even on a philosophical level, is very important um, to Atreon, being such a people-centric company. And what I'm finding is, as we the business changes and we're doing much, much more around professional and managed services, that loyalty factor, because we're so much more tightly connected to the client's um, and delivering services is very, very important in understanding um, what can we expect next year's um, level of revenue to be from the existing base we have and uh, where can we best provide services to the clients who really um, need us. How do you execute? And, and I'm, I'm curious, it's probably rather simple to execute. Uh, one of the, the beautiful parts of the net promoter score is how simple it seems to be. But uh, is this a survey, a quarterly survey that you do or how you go about executing it today? Uh, we handle it in a, uh, from a few different perspectives. Um, certainly our managed services team, it's one of our larger uh, teams, they um, survey clients every month. We have probably um, several hundred tickets that are open in a given month um, regarding the support that we um, provide. So there are there are net promoter surveys that go out around that. We also have a project management office, and they survey our clients on a regular uh, basis um, at different points in the project uh, milestone process. Um, to ensure that we're delivering the level of service that the client is is um, expecting. And I do foresee long-term, I do think it does transcend even into the um, inside of the business, if you will, for teams like mine in finance. Uh, we have our own customer base here. It's our vendor partners, our employees, and that that we serve our executive team in terms of financial reporting. So I think it's not just limited to the customer base. I think we need to look at this in really more of a ubiquitous um, fashion and perspective to make sure that we're, you know, really covering all the bases. What about uh, recurring revenue uh, as a metric? Has that, you know, obviously become a more important over time? Um, I think it has for us because we've been in managed services for a while um, the recurring revenue stream has been something we've we've tracked, and I would say our max time service, um, if it's when it's done well, is um, one of the more um, I guess healthy areas of the business. Um, it scales well, um, and it delivers a very high level of value to the to the client. So it's it, for me, it's been a focus uh, almost since we launched Max Time. I think as a service, uh, just because the uh, importance of what it's delivering to the client as well as uh, the, fin- the positive you know, financial impacts of it. Now, given the size enterprise you are today, how, how do you share these numbers to sort of energize or motivate the organization? We definitely talk about it uh, a lot, I would say, in our leadership meetings and even in uh, our CEO hosts a town hall meeting that's typically quarterly. And a lot of our conversation um, in those um, communications is really around the service 
part of our business, whether it's the managed service, the recurring revenue streams, or the professional, we, we know that's really the value add piece for our clients. Um, and, you know, selling equipment is a necessary part of providing the solution, but it really isn't the key at the end of the day to creating success with the, with the client. Um, so it's a conversation. Our, our salespeople love selling max time because it is a recurring model. You know, from a compensation perspective, um, if they sell, do a good job of selling it, and if they retain the client, um, that's such a positive win for them as well. Can I ask you about, about your CEO? I think uh, Tim Ebert was uh, was he an entrepreneur who actually grew this from the ground up? Sure, sure, he did. He um, he actually joined the, the company, I believe, maybe about a year and a half, two years in. It was started by um, a, a good friend of his, um, Charlie Nault. They were both actually, I, I believe, in the armed services together and then seemed to follow each other around different tech companies um, until Charlie decided to start uh, the business here in Rhode Island and then uh, shortly after Tim joined him. Um, several years ago, um, Charlie did transition out. Um, and Tim's really um, taken the company, um, I would say, to, to some places that um, I would say I didn't dream of 18 years ago when I started with the business and they'd already been um, around for 10 years at that point. So um, Tim, Tim, I would say, and the executive leadership team have had some great vision, I think, around uh, where we could be successful as an organization and bring some really phenomenal um, talent in. Um, on all sides of the business to uh, help us grow and really deliver that great client experience. As a as a finance leader, what advice would you have for perhaps other uh, CFOs or people who are going to step into that role inside a largely entrepreneurial organization in some ways? Um, how do you, as a finance leader, partner with a CEO like Tim? Uh, what is your experience? What would you... Uh, what would the takeaway be here? Again, it's it's grown quite a bit. This is a business that's over 120 million today. Um, what would you share with us as a finance leader? What is what do you see as your complement to uh, a leader like uh, Tim Hebert? You know, I think it's um, Tim and I joke about this a lot. Our personality styles are very different, uh, but we have a very um, tremendous level of respect for each other's um, kind of perspectives, I think, on it. And together, I think we create uh, something better in the end, or at least I hope so. There's always good, healthy dialogue. As a CFO, I try to be very in tune with where um, Tim's thoughts are going um, and try to draw some inferences from what he says. Um, he's a very creative, expressive thinker. And um, trying to stay ahead of that is probably the daily challenge, but I really enjoyed that. And I think really understanding where he wants to go and partnering with him to help achieve that success, um, I think, is, is really key. And um, oftentimes, I think you find that the styles are different between a CEO and CFO, and you, you need to do your best to make it work, appreciate those differences, leverage them. Um, make sure you're understanding where that the CEO's mindset is going and you're in tune with um, where that person sees the future. 
um, so that you can help them really plan for that proactively and not be sort of in a reactive mode um, trying to deal with things as, as they go up, go along. And I think as a CFO, you have to be an influencer. And I think that's um, a different space than maybe we are traditional CFOs were 10 years ago. Uh, that was our CFO role was very focused around compliance. And I really think um, influencing and being more of a strategist with the CEO is very, very critical to success. So, Marianne, having gone back uh, as long as you do with this company, you really had uh, sort of hands-on experience in architecting uh, the finance function for Atrion, I would imagine. And along the way, we'd love to hear if there was an aha moment that you had as you, as the company grew, as you had to get to the next threshold and and build uh, out the finance function and all of what uh, was required. Um, along the way, did you discover an aha moment that you can share with us? Sure. I think there were probably two key aha moments uh, for me. Coming in to the organization um, 18 years ago, I was very, very focused on being a very good technical leader. And I thought that uh, what was most important at the time was making sure the financial statements were accurate and cash flow was, uh, we were employing best practices around that. And I think one of the aha moments that I encountered along the way is that that really isn't always as important as uh, being a great leader and being very good at collaborating with other leaders. And I think as we added more leaders to the fold in the beginning, it was pretty much myself, Tim, Charlie, and one other leader when I started, but um, now we have a, a much more significant um, leadership team with diverse personalities and backgrounds and learning how to best collaborate uh, with those leaders to create success along with the staff. I think um, that that's one big thing. So I think the leadership aspect was an aha moment uh, for me. I had to get much stronger in that. Also understand how people were perceiving uh, me as well, which 360 degree feedback um, models are, are great, great for assessing that and making adjustments. And I, I think the other piece too is never, never discount um, the finance team and where it needs to change and grow. And I think that's important. Sometimes you can get so involved um, in the business or managing the day-to-day -day fires that you have to constantly examine the structure of the group to make sure you're delivering really the maximum value to the organization. And certainly when I started, um, our finance team was probably myself and one other person. Today we have 11 or so members. Um, it's evolved quite a bit, but really staying ahead of what the business needs and what type of staff members um, we need to be hiring and how we need to continually educate and motivate um, those folks, I think, is really paramount. Now, has finance grown to play a larger role uh, with workforce issues uh, overall? One would imagine it has. As you look to bring talent into this organization, how they're compensated and how their performance is measured. Is there something you can share with us as to how that part of uh, finance has also uh, had to step in to play a larger role? Definitely. I think it's evolved over time and in the, in the uh, beginning um, I also led human resources. Unfortunately, along the way, we were able to bring some professionals in. So on a, a regular basis, I partner with the um, director of, we call it people services instead of human resources, 
Um, and she's done a, an amazing job of really um, getting her arms around talent. Um, talent is a big challenge, I would say, in both the IT space and in finance lately. Um, finding uh, great staff with wonderful skills. It's very competitive out there um, right now. And I think between the two of us, um, we've been able to um, pull together you know, I think a lot of best practices, and I would credit Nancy with um, a lot of that. I'm, I'm always out there looking at um, the information that, that's there. Um, we talk about it uh, quite a bit uh, just to make sure we're level setting and that we're competitive in the industry. Uh, what, what are some of the qualities that you believe make Atrion uh, able to compete uh, perhaps for talent against firms that might be quite a bit larger? Right. I think it's um, a lot of the differentiation for Atreon is in our culture. It's it's a very open, transparent culture. Um, every person matters, um, and they're treated that way. Um, we worked, uh, spent a lot of time, um, both Nancy and Tim have spent a lot of time around um, recognition, which we know is very important, and in a very fast-paced um, company environment like ours, it, that's really, really critical. Um, people need to know they're doing a great job every day, um, and we we uh, do that in a lot of ways. We actually have an employee advisory council, and that's filled with staff members who really have the pulse of of uh, the morale um, in the organization and try to create events that sort of add some fun uh, to the mix, um, aside from recognition programs that we have in place as well. Um, Nancy's done a lot of work around uh, market salary surveys, um, and we've uh, tried to create a very robust benefits um, and compensation package that's competitive because it's not easy. There's no doubt about it. And uh, larger organizations with deeper pockets um, can certainly pay more on occasion. And I think we try to differentiate through um, some of the intangibles. I would I would say in our culture is probably one of the biggest pieces of that. I'd like to find out how... Uh, you've worked to help the company look forward now, um, you know, the forecasting uh, portion of the function. Um, have you, uh, are there portions of this? Have you added technology to help? Sure. We actually just rolled out um, a brand new um, ERP system, um, pieces of it, um, the core pieces, starting obviously with sales and a new CRM. Uh, application that's much more robust around pipelining and forecasting uh, than the application uh, that uh, we replaced. So that, that I think, has been key. And all of our uh, professional and managed service applications have been um, updated as well. So I've been working with, uh, we actually do have a um, strategy team here at Atreon, and we have a chief strategy officer, Dave Ramsden, and Dave and I meet probably every other week. And a lot of the conversation we're having is around our ability to um, forecast revenue. Um, if we engage in a new business initiative, a focus point, how are we measuring our success on a very regular basis and course correcting where needed. Um, so that that's evolving quite a bit. I would say between technology and methodology and approach and focus, we've, we've needed to really focus on uh, measuring 
our success when we decide we're going to take on a new endeavor or add um, something new to the to the portfolio. Um, we we like to use um, I don't know if you've heard of it the four disciplines of execution, which is a Franklin Covey um, kind of process and program. And in a busy environment like Atrion, it's very easy to get. Um, we call it sucked into the whirlwind. The whirlwind is a term 40x actually uses. And so when you're trying to be successful around strategic objectives, right, we know how many companies create strategic plans but never really use them. Um, 4DX is a process we've adopted to really make sure that we understand, okay, 80% of our time will be spent in that whirlwind, but the other 20%, what are we doing that's meaningful um, that is transforming this business and making sure that we're relevant, you know, five and ten years down the road? Um, and that's been a uh, tremendous, um, I think, value add for us. Um, it was something that um, that I saw several years ago and um, kind of uh, highlighted it for Dave, and Dave is our um, sort of champion of the program here at Atrion. We're going to jump to our mentoring round now where we ask you several quick questions uh, to offer advice to uh uh, aspiring finance leaders who are coming up through the ranks. Have you had a mentor or mentors during the course of your finance career? Um, I have. And actually, the, the um, first mentor I had who I still talk to was the, the first accountant I worked for right out of college. Um, I learned a lot from him. He was one of the few, um, I think, people at the time that really took the time uh, to take me under his wing, and I learned so much from him. Um, definitely, and he's uh, he still has his own um, accounting practice, so he he's one of several people. But he sticks out just because of the longevity. I think of the relationship I work for him in the late eighties, and uh, he's just a um, a good person. Now, before you uh, officially were named finance leader or CFO at Atrion, what is it that you wish someone had told you before you took on this role? <laughs> Oh boy, that's a great question. Um, I think I wish somebody told me that um, I would need to be a lot more flexible in my mindset um, and that I needed to really be a great communicator across a, uh, people with a broad set of disciplines. Um, tough thing, I think when you, I think it's good for, you know, my advice to young, we, we have interns in our finance department every semester. And I always love to sit and spend some time with them. And my advice still today is I, I still think it's a good idea to start your career in public accounting. That's where I started. I think it gives you um, a lot of great discipline, diversity with clients. You get to know what industries you like, and maybe you remain there. You go out to industry. You start your own practice. But um, I'd say the only downside is um, you can get, you know, very comfortable with um you know, being with people that speak your language every day and not having to be um, kind of versatile in your communication style are really all that as focused on um, leadership principles. And I think uh, and the whole flexibility piece, I think, is really key to to realistically being successful out there in industry that um, CEOs who are entrepreneurial, like our Tim Hebert and many other CEOs out there, you really have to work differently with them. Uh, than you would even a, um, a client uh, that you're working on an audit with. It's just a different different interaction entirely. What personal habit do you believe has contributed to your professional success? 
I think my um, work ethic is probably one of the one of the biggest things, and and focus um, toward excellence. And there there isn't um, I'll, there isn't much I wouldn't do to really achieve that excellent result. Do you have a favorite personal productivity tool? I do. I use a combination of two things. Believe it or not, I do have a Franklin Covey paper planner that I use every week, and I use that in conjunction with um, Microsoft Outlook's calendar and task uh, manager just to try to stay organized and on top of, you know, all those critical projects that need need to get done. Let me ask you something here, because <laughs> I didn't know a, a Franklin Covey. It's paper. Is that right? It is. Um, it's probably similar to the old day timer, I'm guessing, but um, it's just a paper planner and a binder. Okay, so I'm a little stuck on uh, in the past, as some would say as well. I, <laughs> if I don't put it on paper, it just doesn't stick in my mind sometimes. Uh, and you're, you work for a technology firm, so it's even funner to uh, point out the irony here. <laughs> Why is this uh, with you uh, in the 21st century? What is it about paper, uh, Marianne, that, that uh, in my mind, many finance executives still still hold on to? Right. Yeah. I think, you know, what's interesting about what I find is, uh, which may be a, a little bit of a quirk, a personal quirk here for me, um, I definitely enjoy working with technology. One of the reasons I came to Atrium, I actually was selling computer accounting software at uh, one of the firms I work for. So I, I always had a pension for that. However, what I find with um, trying to manage things through an application, I feel like um, in applications, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, email is probably um, a, so, a bit of a sword in my side, frankly. So I like the paper organizer because I just think psychologically I, I enjoy going there because I don't have to go into another application to manage something. There's so many things I have to manage through applications today that I think this actually helps me make sure I'm staying focused by having a different type of tool uh, to actually manage the most critical things I'm doing here at the office. Now, would you have a book you'd like to recommend? I would. So as a CFO in industry, I think, um, and for many leaders in any industry, I think Good to Great by Jim Collins um, is a is a wonderful business book. Um, talks about uh, what really differentiates a, a good company from a great company. And earlier on in Atreon's history, um, that was a book we all read and embodied the principles of. And I do think it was um, key to some of the points of success that that the company has achieved. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? 
I would say uh, priorities currently will be, um, given that we're in the new uh, budget year, uh, we've decided to take on uh, a couple of new initiatives. And I think working with the department leaders that are um, responsible for heading those up and helping them chart success and staying in contact and communicating if um, if we're a little bit off off target, just to help make sure um, that we we stay focused and we can be as successful um, as possible. I think that's a real really big piece because we just just move so fast. And there's so many um, client requests coming in that come from every direction because of the space we work in. Um, one of the things I, I think I bring to the table is to help people stay focused on what's really important and where what should we be leveraging the most to achieve the highest level of success. Marion Caserta, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you so much for having me, Jack. I really appreciate it. Hi, it's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever-so-short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOThoughtLeader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching, and we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at cfothoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply.